The IMG Roadmap is the only podcast dedicated to coaching international medical graduates and success blueprints for this unique pathway. I am Dr. Nina Loom, your host, a previous IMG turned hospital medicine physician, healthcare administrator, speaker, and coach. I empower, encourage, and equip you with actionable steps that you can take towards the residency position of your dreams. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the IMG Roma podcast. Today is going to be phenomenal. We're doing something different. We're, I mean, we're just shaking it all up in, in here today. So I have a group of physicians who run the MB Fam podcast, and it's another great podcast. I've recommended this on my page a couple of times. Definitely you want to check it out. We'll have all their links below. But you have a group of IMG physicians that are going to pour out some knowledge, some advice, just general discussion, all female boss ladies. You guys, I'm so excited. Like I'm actually shaking as I record this episode. <laughs> so welcome to the IMG Roma podcast. So let's hand it over to the ladies. We'll start with Dr. Kristen. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll make round. Okay. Hi, I'm Dr. Kristen Scatliff. I'm the founder of MD Femme. And um, basically I'm a pulmonary critical care physician. I trained at Newark Beth Israel um, Medical Center, did my residency and fellowship there. And I am an IMG out of Ross University. Stand up, Ross, you. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, this is, MDFEM, shameless plug, um, MDFEM.com. Our podcast started this year in February and it's been a beautiful undertaking and it's growing slowly. And I just, I think it's just a, a wonderful experience that I'm having with these ladies. So I hope you guys tune into it and listen to it and enjoy it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm here for this. So maybe next let's go to Dr. Kimberly. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, my name is Dr. Kimberly Works. I'm your board certified pediatrician. I am ING as well. I went to St. George University in um, Grenada. I am the co uh, CEO and founder of Pediatric Works, which is a concierge pediatric practice in North Atlanta. Um, I was a traditional pediatrician before I branched out in January of this year. And essentially, we have everything we need. You can do home visits. We have telemedicine. All our appointments are at least an hour long. And you have direct access to me, unlike a traditional pediatrician. So that's who I am. That's amazing. That is amazing. Dr. Lubna, do you want to go next? Hi, guys. I'm Lubna Chaudhry. I'm a physician in family medicine. Did my training at Ross as well. And then I did my residency in Cleveland. I am born and raised in Chicago, but recently moved to Houston. So we are enjoying a little bit of a cold front right now. So I'm a little bit disappointed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was hoping mm -hmm. Halloween was going to be warm this year, but it doesn't look like it. Awesome. And last but certainly not least is Dr. Candice. Can you tell us about yourself? Sure. So I'm Dr. Candice Wall Bennett. I was born in Jamaica, then went to Canada. Then after Canada, I went to the Caribbean to study medicine. So I'm an IMG from Ross University also. I don't know. What year did we graduate? I think it was like 2012. 12. <laughs> I'm happy it was just 2012. <laughs> so time flies. So I did my specialty in family medicine and now I'm practicing urgent care in Pennsylvania, PA. Awesome. Nice. Awesome. That's so great. So everybody listening, if you are in a Caribbean medical school or recently graduated from Caribbean medical school, you're sitting with you know, five physicians that have done what you are doing right now in different walks of life, different parts of the country, rocking it, bossing it. There's no reason why you can 
well, you should feel like this is impossible for you. But I know a lot of you listening are thinking, yo, like Dr. Loom, you always bring the people up here who have done the best. They're the criminal of the crop. Let's hear about their struggles. I know that's what my audience likes to listen to. They want to hear how hard was it for you? Can you like out hard me? That's what they want to know. So, so maybe before we like, you know, just we've, we've like probably wowed them with all our accomplishments, but let's go back to medical school and how hard it was and some challenges that we went through. We could just take turns and talking about, you know, things that stood out for us. For me, it was being a visa applicant and then coming to the States and not really knowing my left or my right, honestly. Like, I don't even know how I made it, <laughs> but here we are. But that was a big challenge for me. And moving into studying for step one was a challenge. I didn't do exceptionally well as I wanted to. And I just felt like that gave me a lot of like imposter syndrome to deal with for a long time. And now fast forward, I'm like, I could really care less about all that stuff, right? <laughs> and I'm sure everybody on the call can also agree with that. But maybe just open up and just tell us some challenges that you experienced and how you overcame it so that those listening can also sort of benefit from that, from your story. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can go first if you like. Yeah. So, because I'm always excited about my story. So for my story, it's, it's, I had a lot of difficulties in medical school and a residency, mainly because I am dyslexic and have ADHD. And both of those weren't diagnosed into medical school. And so I definitely had trial and tribulations throughout. And I'm so thankful for being a foreign grad, mainly because for several reasons. But one of the reasons why is because of a foreign grad, they tend to look at your entire application. And so for me, center has have never been uh, my thing at all since like grade school. And so that showed in my standardized test, but not my grades. And so I was a world-round student. I was a trap. I went to school on athletic scholarship. I was in a lot of organizations. And so I think, or I know that going to a foreign school, they looked at me as an entire individual instead of when the U.S. schools were just suddenly looking at a number. So that was my trial and tribulation. So, you know, being dyslexic, meaning I read a little slower, things will take a little bit longer. And I definitely love the fact they looked at me as an entire person, not just a number. And here I am all these years later. I also graduated in 2012. And it's funny because I got into Ross as well, but I ended up going to St. George's. So I would have met all of you guys there. <laughs> Opportunity uh, missed. <laughs> Opportunity <laughs> missed. Small world. Small, small, small world. Because one of my friends is at St. George's. And so I went to St. George's. We would all knew each other earlier than now. But definitely, you know, it's, it's definitely doable. And for my diagnosis, it was later, later on because of the fact that, you know, I was smart growing up and my father was military. And so we moved quite a bit. And so therefore teachers really didn't know that I was having struggles because what you do in those times is you, you make sure you enrolled in like honors classes and AP classes and stuff. And so you don't have to read out loud on class or teachers don't know how you got the information. So I would go home and struggle at home and get the concept and come back to school. And so, you know, you can, that's fine until you get into grad school or went to grad school where the, the volume of information becomes much greater. And so that's when you definitely those type of weaknesses start to show. So I'm a plug for I for um, foreign grads because they looked at me as an entire person. And here I am today, you know, founder of my own pediatric practice. Wow, that's amazing. And that was Dr. Kimberly, guys, for, for anybody wondering who was speaking, but definitely speaks to the student that is, you know, maybe has maybe ADHD or ADD or dyslexia or whatever it is, whatever category that you fall under, you know, you're listening to a physician who's done the things that you think are impossible, maybe because of a label that's been put on you. And what would you say worked? Was it just finding out how to study as a person that maybe struggled with those challenges? Like what, what was the sauce for you? Like what worked? 
Uh, the sauce for me is uh, eventually, you know, you have to gain confidence. My role was not easy. You know, I took step one, step two. I took step one, I don't know, three times. I took MCAT three or four times. And so um, each time was a battle, right? Um, but it's more so uh, knowing it. You know, for me, I didn't realize until uh, med school, I was in neurology class. And the professor was talking about dyslexia. And I was like, whoa, that sounds like crazy. So I spoke to him after. And he was like, yeah, so you got dyslexia. What are you going to do about it? Nothing to do now. <laughs> but just knowing that gave me some relief because prior to my uh, self-esteem was pretty low, despite the fact that, hey, you're in med school. Um, my self-esteem was pretty low because I always thought I was less than because it took me a little bit longer time to get concepts. So when that diagnosis was found, so I got a, form, um, a formal diagnosis, formal ADHD, and then just knowing that made me stronger and also have, and I talk about it very freely because that might help somebody else. Cause when I was younger, I didn't, I didn't know that there's a lot of people who are, you know, doctors or scientists and so forth and with the same disabilities I have. So I would say the confidence level helped and, you know, and persistent, right? Because I took step one twice, uh, three times, I think step two and step three once and my boards three times. So the fact that I was persistent and, and had confidence in myself is the reason why, you know, I have my own practice today. Right. Well, thanks for sharing that. I can go next. This is Dr. Kristen Scatliff. I know there's many voices in the room right now. It's probably confusing. My story is a mountain. I'm originally from the Virgin Islands. And those who are not U.S. born understand the code switch when you come here. You have to learn how to speak a certain way so that they don't go, what did you say? <laughs> so that was my first challenge. But I went to school at Florida State undergrad. And then I did a post-baccalaureate at UM. And I was actually accepted to U.S. medical school. And while I was there, I got diagnosed with ADHD. I, it was really, really a challenge. I literally had to leave. I had to leave that environment because they weren't very supportive. Let's just put it that way. And by the time I figured out what was going on, it was, you know, I was already, I was already going downhill. That was probably the most difficult time in my life in training. And then I left the U.S. medical school and I went to Miami and I did what we call MERP, which is the program that you can do before you go into Ross to see if you'll, you know, be able to do well in medical school. That was what they wanted me to do. And I basically scored the highest they've ever had in the history of that program. And that was because of determination. I spent every waking hour working on that material. And then I went to Ross. I did really well. That's where I met Candace and Lubna. <laughs> and, you know, hard work, sitting in the fishbowl. I don't know if you guys remember the fishbowl <laughs> and um, spending countless hours in there studying and reworking the material. And it really was about time management and persistence. As Kim said, I never went on any medication at that point. And then I took step one, did really well, took my other steps, got into residency. It was actually a pre-match. Candice can tell you this story. I pre-matched to my residency program and I told them, no, I'm going to wait for the match. Am I not crazy? I think I was crazy. Okay. So, so anyhow, I went for the match. I still get there. So I was like, you know, I went to that program. And while I was at that program, I literally, I went into fellowship. I'm pulmonary critical care. And I was still dealing with the ADHD and so forth. It got to a point, like I, I took my boards twice and then it was like, I need to see someone. And I literally got tested. And as Kim said, the reason I guess that this didn't present itself so until later was because the IQ offset the, the actual ADHD. 
So I didn't see it until it was much later in life. It is a challenge. It is not something that we can't, you know, overcome though. It's time management. It's hard work. It's understanding your shortcomings and working around those shortcomings, developing skills for your particular, you know, disadvantages. Mine was not so much in reading. It was more like, you know, I read it. I need to read it at least three times to get like that, that critical level of thinking that you're going to ask on questions on tests. So I understood that. And then I adapted to that. So that was my challenge. I, you know, up until now, I rarely told that story because, you know, the environment of medicine sometimes is not always supportive. Some of our medical colleagues can, you know, be very harsh and make you feel like you don't belong and you're, you're not, you're not supposed to be in that environment. And to those people, I tell them you're incorrect. (laughs) All of us have a different path. We are all different individuals and we all have our own space in this environment. So don't let anyone make you feel less than. I tell that story now all the time because there is a power in owning your story. So that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Wow. Okay, Candace, you got a better one for us? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could top those. Let's <laughs> put it that way. <laughs> but I feel like as every IMG experience challenges, I think that's what makes us great doctors, to be honest with you. I think that's how we stand out as a group of doctors who knows challenges. And we can say we're a really strong bunch of doctors because of these challenges. I think because we don't succumb to the challenges, but we rise above them. And then we have, I mean, we've been told, I mean, each one of us can say we've been told no, like better letters, emails have said, like, is something have we have gotten a rejection somewhere and still we continue to fight above them and towards the dream of what we want to do. So I think that's for everyone. I mean, for most people, well, for me, I mean, I didn't choose to go to a Caribbean medical school. I mean, or like someone said no along the way and I'm like, all right let's see where else I could go since you don't want to take me in kind of thing. So, I mean, other than, I mean, I didn't match the first time. Other than that, lots of like financial challenges and struggles through it. I mean, I still rose above it and continue to fight for what I wanted. Yeah. And here you are now practicing. Here I am now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes I true. feel like it's definitely the pain or the struggle makes the reward so much better because mm-hmm. it does. we have yeah. some behind us. Like I can come home right now at eight, whatever time we're recording this and be happy to sit here and talk about these things because I mean, that's why I'm able to do the stuff I've been doing for the last 12 hours. And it just helps with resiliency. It helps with gratitude, just general appreciation for life, which at the end of the day, it's well worth it. Dr. Lovna, you're up next. So for me, there was a lot of bumps along the road. I think the first one for me is I don't think I ever really knew how to study. So I don't know. I think it came easy to me. School, I was always the oldest because I was an October baby. So I was always the oldest. So I don't think I really ever struggled throughout school. But on standardized testing, I was like the worst on like teachers actually didn't know what happened between the whole year and then the end of the year. So it would literally be like based on recommendations of teachers when I would go from like elementary. So like sixth grade to junior high, I remember like my teachers actually had to call and be like, no, she has to be in the honors classes. We don't know what happened on the standardized test with her. Like, and I never really understood how to actually study and 
that's when I hit Ross. I think I, it was like really my, like, I was like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing here. Cause I, I just, you know, it was this, the big tests that were a big problem for me, but Ross was different. It was challenging. It was mixing all the things together. It wasn't like one subject at a time where I could just study for that subject and ace it. You know, it was like knowing everything comprehensively. So that was a big struggle. I honestly, I lived in fear (laughs) at Ross every semester that I was going to fail. Like literally I had no clue what was happening at the end of every semester. And it was like not a great way to live. Like I would call my mom crying. Me and Kristen would go to KFC when it finally came on the island. (laughs) Go eat, you know, Subway breakfasts were like my sanctuary. But thankfully made it through, you know, all four semesters with the same people I started with. And then struggled with the steps as well. Uh, Did not match the first year. That was a big blow for me. That was kind of like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Like I'm a failure. Like what is going to happen? But you know what? I didn't give up. Like I always had that spirit of like, even if you just keep knocking me down, I'm just going to keep getting up and doing it. And I think Ross kind of teaches you that. Like when you're an IMG, I think you're, you're, you become scrappy. You know, you have to prove yourself. Even when you're on your rotations, like I did all my rotations in Chicago, they always looked at us kind of like, oh, that's an IMG. Is she going to know it? But then it came to know, like, especially the Ross and St. George students and the ones that were at the good, like Caribbean schools, like they know their stuff. They study, they work hard. So, you know, I mean, I always felt like I just always had to like prove something. Like I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm doing. I'm, I can do this, you know? So when I didn't match the first year, I was like, okay, what am I going to do? I did some research and everything like that. I still like kept my connections with people that I know. And I still, I like, I powered through it. And thankfully the second year matched into a great program, really like worked hard, you know, and I was by the end of residency, I was eight months pregnant and took my boards and took, had a baby a month later. And thankfully that was the first time I think I've ever passed a board exam on the first try. Like out of all like my steps and everything like that all had to be repeated except my boards. And I was like, oh my God, it's the little baby inside me that helped me pass this exam because that's the only difference. But, you know, I feel like along the way I started to learn how to study, knew what to do. And I feel like, you know, you got to figure out yourself, but just, I mean, the biggest thing is just, you never give up. You know, if this is your dream and this is what you want to do, Honestly, no matter how many blows you get, you just got to keep getting up, you know? And I feel like, I don't know, in everybody else's practices, maybe Candace and Kim can talk about it, but the kids that I see nowadays, I feel like they just give up. And it makes me sad that like, they don't have that fighting spirit. And I kind of look at my kids and I'm like, no, you need to go try that again, you know? And I, I, I don't like, for me, I still have that inside me, even like every day when there's a challenging patient or something, I'm like, no, 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 we're going to get this, you know, like we're going to do this. And I feel like having that spirit, which I think all of us do because we've all struggled, we've all gone through it. I think, you know, that gives us a lot of character and builds us. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. And I, I think just like everybody else has mentioned on this conference that we're having right now, failure is one of the things that would eventually define, it can define you if you allow it to, or you can use it as sort of the pathway into who you become, whether it's a character development or an exercise in personal development, or it becomes the reason why you're able to 
you know, pull through even some other more difficult circumstances. And I feel like it's one of the common things I hear from IMGs is, you know, someone will reach out saying, oh, I failed the MCAT and should I go to the Caribbean? Or I hear, I get emails just this week. I've probably gotten about four emails regarding I failed one of the steps and um, do I still stand, stand a chance? And sometimes it's hard to say, you know, I would say, yes, you do, but it's dependent on several factors. Like it's dependent on, you know, how you bounce back, your resiliency, what you do in the attempt to bounce back, how you study the second time around. And so can you all just like, you know, just speak into some international students or graduates that are, you know, maybe this is their second time applying to the match, or it's their second time preparing for an exam in the middle of interview season. Can you just like maybe speak to that person? What would you tell them if you could look back and have them like looking back, if you have them in front of you right now, what are the words that you would share with them? Honestly, for me, it would be do as many questions as many times as you can and just like literally lock yourself away in like the library and just keep on pushing through. Honestly, like you just, you need to learn the material. And like, if that, you know, do practice exams, do practice tests, do questions after questions, bounce ideas off of other people. If you're struggling with a subject, don't feel shy or ashamed to ask for help. I think, you know, a lot of people, like, especially when you're a type A personality, you almost feel like, um, you know, like it's shameful to ask people for help, but really as a physician, you should be humble enough to always ask. You know, I ask my colleagues all the time, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Don't ever like feel like you can't ask other people for help. Don't be too proud and just keep pushing through. And I would like, I would also say you're not the only one. I know because it might seem very isolating, right? Because all your coworkers, excuse me, all your classmates have gone on, but you're not, there's several of us who have to retake it, retest again. And then also just a moment in time, because I honestly kind of forgot how many times I took these tests coming now, you know, because the big picture is it really doesn't matter, but it seems like it matters a lot right now. So I couldn't remember how many times I took step one or step two and so forth. By the time it seemed like a big deal, but just know that this is just a point in your life and you will conquer it. And then you'll be like me. I don't remember how many times I took step one, right? So I, I would say that. I think to add, uh, if I had that IMG sitting in front of me, the first thing I would say is, how bad do you want it? If you really want this, you're going to have to make some sacrifices. That's something that I had to do for myself. You're going to have to pull away from friends and from social media and so forth and really isolate time. Time management is such a underrated skill and it is mm -hmm. going to help you throughout your entire medical career and you really need to perfect it now. So block off some time where you're going to do questions, block off some time where you're going to read. And when you read and you don't understand, read it again, try to rework it from another angle. As Lub said, do as many questions as you possibly can. And, you know, you just got to try and try again. Don't be afraid to get it wrong. That's how you learn. Don't be afraid to get it wrong. And I mean, for, for those who say, oh, I haven't passed an exam, I had to take it again. Is this going to hurt my chances? We do have a limited number of spots in the U.S., but it's not impossible. As you said, Nia, it's about the resilience and the determination and what you do in the time that you didn't match or you didn't, you know, th that time that you, you use in between, like Lub said and, and Candace, I remember when they didn't match and how they hustled to get into an opportunity that showed that they were using good, good use of that time. You understand that all of those things add to your application, add to who you are. So <clears throat> don't give up, stay persistent, 
make good use of your time. The hustle is so underrated in medicine, but that's how a lot of us get through. It's not mm-hmm. just natural talent. You have to work. Yeah. And, and, you know, to just add to what you said, I mean, that was really great. I think a lot of times it's so easy to get bogged down in the now that we can't see so far ahead. And that's a big problem because when we're so engulfed in the anxiety of like, right now I did not pass step one. And my, and then when that translates into my life is over, my career is over, that's where the problem lays. You should feel like, yes, I did not pass the exam, but how do I move forward from it? How do I build up from here to move on as opposed to I didn't pass my life is screwed. I think a lot of times we go from zero to 100 too fast and not just like figure out, okay, for right now, what do we need to do to take the next step? And then the next step. And sometimes I always tell IMGCs too, is like, you may not match the first time, but that's not because you're not a good applicant. There's just not enough spots for everybody to fit into. And so some of us have to come back around the second time around, because guess what? Maybe if there were more spots the first time, we would all get a position. And so some of us have to wait out and try out the next year. It doesn't make us any less of a physician than the person who gets in the first time. And it's amazing that all of us on this call actually graduated in 2012. I did too. And (laughs) and that's pretty cool. But I'm sure we can all agree though, that at work right now, some of our colleagues graduated in 2015 and some graduated in, in old two. But at some point in your career, that doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't doesn't matter. matter. Don't your you? board scores don't matter. If you didn't match, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. So that stuff doesn't matter anymore. But I guess it took me being here to be able to see that. And that's why I'm on this freaking podcast saying the same right. thing to every <laughs> other Like It doesn't matter anymore after a certain time. Now, I'm not saying you get, you know, lax and don't study, but just realize that your momentary trouble is not going to define your career unless you let it, you know, define exactly. your career. So yeah, I, I really like that y'all brought that point up. The first time I realized that was um, I was graduating from residency and applying for jobs and I was talking to some recruiter or something and they're like, they really like you. They really like your CV, but they don't like that you went to St. George's. I said, okay, Hank, throw my, throw my application in trash. Like, are you kidding me right now? Like, it doesn't matter, right? I <laughs> right. passed on my scores. I graduated. <laughs> I passed all those tests. I'm just as good as everyone else. And I know that because I am an IBM graduate. Yeah. So I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this on the back of that. I'm a locums physician. And for any of you that are going, oh, what's locums? That means basically I fly around to different spots and do critical care there. I am not a staff at any hospital. However, and they can tell you this, I've been at my locums position since I graduated from fellowship. So it's basically like a staff position. I've I've been there for like two years. And I'll say this because when they got my CV, they were like, oh, she can do all these things, but she's, she went to Ross. Oh, and um, you know, she went to Ross. Oh, she, she, you know, she hasn't, she hasn't passed, you know, her critical care boards. And, and I was like, just give me an opportunity. Just give me a chance to come into your institution and show you what I do. And then they didn't want to let me go. So it really doesn't matter. It does not speak to the quality that you are as a physician. It doesn't speak to your intelligence. It's just one more hill and hurdle. That's it. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I like that we keep getting back to this point that where you are today or where you will be for those listening, wherever you're going to be tomorrow, a lot of the things that you worry about today would not even ever count. But of course, you have to go through that pain of dealing with it in the moment. But remember, the light at the end of the tunnel is bright, but you got to keep walking. 
You have to keep walking toward it to get to that light. But it is bright. You um, might have to crawl to get there. <laughs> right, you might have to crawl to get there. But if you stop, that's when you're not. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no is just another opportunity. Yeah. Don't yeah. let it be your defining moment. No yeah. is just another opportunity. I remember when the dean of the U.S. Medical School I was at said, well, you know, you can go and do nursing. And oh. I looked at her. Yeah, I looked at her and I said, I said, and please excuse. I said, the devil is a liar. I will be a doctor. <laughs> and when I graduated from Ross, and even when I got into fellowship at Pullman Crit, I sent her every time I got accepted someplace, I sent her. And Good. she finally wrote me back and said, I was wrong. Good. Put, put the haters in their place. No, right. it's just mm. an opportunity. It's okay. Sure. No, it's just an opportunity. I like it. I like it. That's awesome. So ladies, I mean, we've given IMG some really heavy talk tonight. I mean, we've poured out our hearts to them. We've opened up our CVs in the places that some of our employers have never seen. <laughs> and I'm really excited that y'all came on to, to really share this message with me and amplify this, this message that I'm very passionate about sharing with IMGs that it is possible. The challenges you're experiencing right now, you're not unique. You'll overcome them if you persist. Success is possible even after failure. But before we get off this podcast, I want to just kind of go around the room. I want to know the things that y'all are doing in and outside of work. Like I'm all about promoting other physicians, especially IMGs, because I feel like we don't get enough credit. And sometimes some of us are too humble. Like we're just too, you know, we don't put ourselves out there. We don't want to get noticed. But I know a lot of you are doing great things, even with the MD Fan podcast. And I just want you all to touch on some of the extracurricular stuff that you're all into right now. Hey, this is Dr. McKenzie. I am not an IMG, but I'm listening in. I'm the DO of the group, uh, the MD Fem group. So I've been listening in the whole time. And the only thing that I have to add is that I did get accepted to um, Ross and I ended up getting accepted to uh, DO school in, in uh, New York and I ended up going there. It was great. It was fine. I did well. You know, I was well prepared for residency. When I got to residency, half of my class, the majority, I'm, I'm uh, good friends with Kristen and uh, Dr. Ampadu. The majority were um, IMGs. And I have to say some of the smartest people I've ever met, including Kristen, Dr. Scatliff, were from Ross and SGU and, you know, outside schools. It was a great experience learning from them and being a part of residency with this group of people. The only other thing I'd have to add is that uh, when I graduated, I was an academic hospitalist and I got to see the other side of, how do I say, getting into residency. So I interviewed, I did a lot of interviews. I interviewed a lot of candidates. And what I saw was uh, initially the, one of the most initial questions were, uh, was what school did they go to? Even though I trained, even though I was a hospitalist where I trained, the the how do I say the philosophy started changing and they were trying to stray away from outside graduates or IMGs and eventually they realized that they couldn't stray away from it and the groups thereafter were all IMG students or a good amount a good a significant amount who've gone on to do very well so it's it's something that can be done and how for whatever reason you went to a, a um, Caribbean school or a international school you'll still end up in the same place as me or any anybody from Harvard, or you'll still end up in the same place, getting the same amount of money and taking care of life. 
I'm so glad you said that, especially <laughs> from the perspective of, you know, a U.S. grad. And you hit the nail on the head with it. I almost chuckled when you said you'd be getting the same amount of money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like there's like I mean, waiting for a U.S. grad and you know, a quarter million waiting for an IMG. So that just speaks to the value that you're going to bring to the workplace, guys. If you're listening is definitely going to be de- depending on the kind of position that you are. And that is something that not a school, a school can never define that for you. You're either going to be good exactly. because are determined to be a good doctor or not and your school really has very little to do with that and so it's i think a lot more environmental and how you develop as a physician so we really appreciate that perspective that you shared with us doc yeah i'm not doing anything outside of medicine right now i'm starting a new job on monday and i've tried a whole bunch of side hustles but i'm just gonna be a mommy and a nocturnist for now (laughs) that works that works I was going to, I was going to say, um, thank you, Jaina, for coming on. I was going to say for my side hustles, my major side hustle right now is MD Femme. You can ask these ladies. I, I live, breathe and eat this thing. I had, it was a big learning curve. I'm sure Nina can speak to it. Starting a podcast is an undertaking and just understanding how to record and how to publish and how to get it out there and, and, you know, and networking with everybody and, um, I really have to take this opportunity to say thank you to a couple docs on IG, like Docs Outside the Box, Nidarko, he's been very supportive. Bedside Rounds has been very supportive. I mean, ICU Explained, all these guys have been really great. You know, it's wonderful to see how your peers can become, you know, your support and your community in this venture. Outside of that, I'm doing a little interior design also. And so that's, that's been an interesting venture. I'm starting with friends, Candace, and, um, you know, I'll be photographing my work as it happens. So <laughs> those are the things that I'm doing as a side hustle. I think if as many streams of income as you can have, the better, you know, the more, the better. So that's my hustle right now. Thanks for sharing. Love it. I'm not doing any right now. <laughs> so I guess I could go next. Yeah. I mean, other than helping MD Theme and being on these wonderful podcasts, it's been great. I also do real estate investing. So I'm trying to figure out how after a while for not making employers hustle me, let's put it that way, and try to put my money to good use. So I'm doing that with my husband and like several Airbnbs around me. So that's my other side hustle. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So yeah, my hot side hustle is, well, it's still medicine related. So I branched out with pediatric works and I'm just learning the, the business side of it. So that's what I'm branching out right now. Like I, a couple of months ago, I couldn't tell you what a domain was. <laughs> now I can. <laughs> I had to learn how to work on social media and Facebook and podcasts and all this stuff. So definitely learning a lot with that. And then also I do locums as I'm trying to build up my clientele for my pediatric practice for fun. I'm trying to get better with hot yoga. I love hot yoga. It's very, very um, relaxing and challenging right now. And so um, that's my new thing right now. (laughs) That's so cool. I like that physicians are, you know, we're versatile. I think for a lot of, for a long time, we've been put into a box, especially as women physicians. It's like, you know, you can only do so much. You can't, you don't have the time. And, and, but I like that we're all passionate about different things and are able to pursue those while still maintaining a very fruitful career. So I, I just love it. I enjoy it. I 
vibe off of that stuff personally. But we're at the end of the podcast episode, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for, for being here. Thank you to the special docs at MD Fam who are here today to share. And they have shared with us just some really strong pearls that we can hold on to for a really, really long time. I'll have all the guests, I'll have their information in the show notes so you can one click and connect with them. We'll get their contact information, how to reach out to them. And more importantly, I want everybody listening to follow the MD Fam podcast. We'll have their information in the show notes as well. Thank you guys so much for joining. It was my pleasure to have you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thank you.